Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I'll admit it. I'm scared. One reason to be sure is that I am as apprehensive as anyone else about the meeting that President Meyer will have tomorrow with the faculty and staff. Nobody knows exactly what he'll say, but nobody expects that it'll be painless either. Another, perhaps more immediate reason is that it's always somewhat daunting to preach in chapel. A generation ago, one of my professors, Dr. Red Mollering, wrote an article for the Concordia Journal, which borrowed for its title, as I recall, a quote from Luther, Timeo Predicatoris, I am afraid when I am about to preach. I sort of short-sighted myself by agreeing to swap with a colleague to take this morning's service. And as you might have read in the daily announcements, we've got a lot of stuff going on with training for a new student information software system. I keep wondering when Power Campus, aka HAL 2000, is going to launch me or Mary Ann out the nearest airlock. And yet, I find myself also unnerved because of what strikes me as an unusual confluence of preaching dates and texts. At the end of October, just a week before the national general election, I asked a series of questions including what's going to happen after the new president is inaugurated next January 20th. Will we be able to transfer more control to Iraqi civilian and military authorities? Will the markets continue at that time yesterday's rebound or undergo a massive sell-off? My answer then for each one was, don't know. Now, however, we know some of the answers and most, especially in economic matters, haven't been pretty. Last Thursday, Dr. Bodie and I were reconnoitering the hotel where the LCMS Theological Professors Convocation was being held. We returned to the lobby after spotting the exercise rooms and the swimming pool where there was a, in the lobby was a flat panel TV near the front desk with one of these continuous news channels. I don't remember which one, but in one corner of the screen was a panel with a continually refresh, continuously refreshing display of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Every second, it updated the fluctuating change in the market from the previous day's close and the resultant index, which of course was inexorably down. From its all-time high of more than 14,000 in October 2007, the Dow Jones dropped almost a third of its value to about 9,000 by the end of October 2008. Since then, it has continued to tumble in almost the same proportion, to about 6,500. I thought to myself, if I had to watch that all the time, it would drive me nuts. What would you think if you had to monitor some kind of personal life index that way? Every second it would refresh with a measure of the change in your life expectancy. Add a few minutes perhaps for that workout in the gym, but subtract a bunch for the humongo burger and cheese fries you ate and washed down with the bladder-busting HCFS-laden soda, and for the uninitiated, HFCS is high fructose corn syrup. 
the life index itself would show how much time, lifetime you have left. So it would be counting inexorably down. Then on the first day back from the Christmas recess, I stood here and read a portion from Pope Benedict XVI's book, Jesus of Nazareth. Specifically, a portion which, where he engaged this question. What did Jesus actually bring, if not world peace, universal prosperity, and a better world? What has he brought? And Benedict said, the answer is very simple, God. He has brought God. He has brought God, and now we know his face. Now we can call upon him. Now I'm here again with a particularly pivotal gospel text, and the questions are largely the same. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? I've continued to read Pope Benedict's book, and while there are some occasional Romanisms, his confidence in Jesus and his trust of the Gospels is a delight. In a chapter on the kingdom of God, he included a notion about the Latin word for gospel, evangelium, which I hadn't encountered before, that the term figures in the vocabulary somehow of the Roman emperors, who understood themselves as lords, saviors, and redeemers of the world. Messages, he writes, issued by the emperor were called in Latin evangelium. The idea was that what comes from the emperor is a saving message, that it is not just a piece of news, but a change of the world for the better. The best confirmation of his argument shows up in a book by New Testament scholar Graham Stanton, who says that the Roman use of evangelium was not the source of Christian use of the word group, but it was the background against which Christian use developed especially in terms of the singularity of the Christ event versus the cyclical or iterative concept according to which Roman emperors were born, elected, or returned to health. During the presidential campaign and in the earliest days of his presidency, political talking, helds, talking heads fell all over themselves trying to outgush each other about candidate, then president-elect, and now President Obama. Even Saturday Night Live got into the act by parodying the conduct of media celebrities. But some of the messianic acclamation has begun to wear off, hasn't it? President Obama's inaugural address and his more recent address to the joint session of Congress received briefly positive responses, but largely people, at least investors, haven't bought it at least not consistently. No evangelium here. Jesus alone is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, Savior, and Redeemer of the world. His evangelium in today's text is verse 31. It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be handed over by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days arise. He is his own capital. He invests himself completely in his gospel. This is who he is and what he has come to do. In Lent and Easter, we remember Jesus' once-for-all journey to the cross and the tomb. And because death could not hold him, 
to Easter's resurrection, triumph, and joy. We do not reenact these events, especially not in the sense that they are actually repeated or reproduced. The lamb who was slain arose and lives to die no more. And then the invitation goes out to follow him. But there's only one way to do that, by denying oneself, taking up one's cross, and following. Over the years, I've been part of any number of conversations which have tried to define a Christian's cross as if it can be whittled down to categories of qualifying and non-qualifying experiences. If I used to think it could, I do so no longer. Jesus explains, if anyone wishes to save his self, he will lose it. Whoever loses his self on account of me and the gospel will save it. I've chosen self instead of soul because it isn't simply a matter of saving or losing one's soul, as in soul versus body, but the whole self, body and soul, life as not only spiritual life, nor only physical life, but the whole person. For some, the cross to be taken up may come physically. To others, it comes mentally, emotionally. Crosses might be specifically theological or religious. They might be political. They might be economic. Even if we know, generally, that crosses will come, they remain scary because we don't know when or how they will come and because we don't know when or how deliverance from them will come. Someone said to me recently that recessions last, on average, about 15 months. So I asked whether the 15 months for the one that we're in now had begun when it is now acknowledged that the recession had begun late in 2007, in which case it could be over soon. Or does it begin when we finally admit its existence, which was only late last year? in which case it'll be sometime next year before it's over. The times are scary, and I am scared. I am disappointed when financial markets gain one day only to give it all the way the next and the next and the next. I do not expect evangelium, gospel, from financial markets. I do not expect gospel from President Obama or the Congress or the Chairman of the Fed. Apologies, Mr. President, I do not expect gospel from President Meyer when he speaks to the faculty and staff tomorrow morning. When he preaches in chapel tomorrow, I do. In the meeting afterward, I don't. The gospel is this. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, and true man is my Lord, that he has redeemed me, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom. And this too, I think, is gospel. I believe that God has made me, that he has given me all things and still preserves them. And all this purely out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me.
May God grant to us all his spirit to believe his gospel, Jesus, and to follow, enduring the crosses in whatever form they come, to confess and not deny him. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.